It's Tuesday, July 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today, all the way from Marfa, Texas, from Motley Fool Special Ops, Tom Jacobs. Good to see you, my friend. The pleasure's all yours, Chris. <laughs> it is. It is. You you don't you know, for those who don't know, maybe have never heard of Marfa, Texas. It is it is right there on the uh, arguably like the westernmost edge of the state. So, Western and southern. We're about an hour from the border. Well, we we won't get into the border discussion just yet. No, not yet. But I do want to add that uh, I get checked every time I go back and forth to the airport. Well, you know, we talk all the time about our colleague Jim Gillies and our border patrol to the north just continues to let him in the country. Yes, so. but he's he's Canadian. I'm Texan. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got earnings to talk about uh, from J.P. Morgan. Uh, plug power continues to mystify me, but let's start with Johnson & Johnson. Second quarter profits came in higher than expected. Uh, strong sales of the their new drug for hepatitis C really seem to be a big part of what's fueling this. Obviously, Johnson & Johnson, a huge company with a lot of revenue streams, but the hep C drug's getting uh, a lot of the credit, I guess, for that quarter. Is that is that spot on, do you think? I do. I do note also that there's a ton of competition coming in that space. Some really amazing new drugs that are either just approved or about to be approved. Not that theirs won't continue boosting pharmaceutical section sales by 21% a year, but uh, they don't own the space entirely. But that's that's really what the quarter uh, is owed to. Uh, shares uh, I checked them right before coming in the studio this morning. Shares down about one and a half percent. It seems as though the guidance that the company offered for the rest of the fiscal year is being interpreted as cautious, or you know, what, whatever version of the word cautious you want to use. This seems like, and again, we're not talking about a huge sell-off, but it kind of seems, Tom, like this is classic short-term thinking, because these are presumably the same executives who have been guiding the company over the last couple of years when the stock is up more than 50%. It is at an all-time high, bar none. I mean, hockey stick, the the cliche hockey stick doesn't even begin to describe it. But this is a company that has the highest returns on capital of anybody in the healthcare space. Uh, And you could argue Remember, I'm a value guy, right? Yeah. You could argue that this is not a really overvalued company. The other thing is they have all these things at their disposal. Uh, the medical device uh, section, which uh, division, which didn't come in well at all. It was flat to neutral. These are managers who'd spin that off in a heartbeat if it made money for shareholders. Uh, so it's, I, I'm not surprised it's off a percent, but I also don't think it's really overvalued. I was going to say, back in March, I think the end of March, they had spun off uh, one of their divisions, and, and they do it, and and they, you know, why they're suffering in the in the medical device space, not entirely, but you know, the whole stent thing. They drove the advances in cardiac stents, and that's kind of faded out. Uh, but they really, they, they're a Berkshire Hathaway, they're a Warren Buffett for the healthcare field. The only difference is that they will sell or spin businesses. Well, he won't. Uh, when you look at this company and just the overall size of it, closing in on a $300 billion market cap, I think it's reasonable to ask, well, how much bigger can this company get? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I think that's actually, it maybe can't get much bigger, but you can still make money on it as a shareholder. 
Because as long as they're paying dividends and if they devote a lot to buy ba buying back shares, you can make money even if the business doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. Let's move on to J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, shares up around 4% this morning. Second quarter profits came in higher than expected. I, I sort of feel like coming into today that whatever J.P. Morgan was going to report in terms of their actual business was going to just immediately get sort of washed away by Jamie Dimon making his first public comments since his cancer was disclosed. We will get to Jamie Dimon in a second, uh, but first, when you look at the results, when you look at how they're doing, uh, what stands out to you in J.P. Morgan's quarter? Mind-numbing complexity. I think that the thing about the big banks is we think we understand them, but there's so there's so many moving parts now. How do you really evaluate a Citigroup or a J.P. Morgan or something like that? It's a familiar name. The stock has done incredibly well, but I just think that that most of the banks are as opaque as they were in 2008. Uh, I know that sounds a little uh, chicken little-ish, but I just don't think that that we can really know what's going on with them any better. I mean, yeah, okay, this quarter sort of flat to off, whatever. I, I find it very scary to think about the big banks. Uh, do, do you uh, invest in banks at all? And if so? Yes, it, we do, and I do. And these tend to be small banks where your tangible book value, what, <laughs> right, where their value of all their assets, where they're selling at a discount to that, and they don't do all the different kinds of banking that J.P. Morgan does. They're the What's the, let, let me pull out the oldest chestnut I can, the many-headed hydra. <laughs> there you go. Um, Jamie Dimon says he's feeling great, um, and obviously we, we wish him a speedy recovery. The, the early reports uh, coming out from his doctor seem to be uh, promising. And yet, I do wonder, and I think we uh, talked about this uh, last week with Tim Hansen, I, I do wonder about... Uh, the bench, so to speak, at J.P. Morgan Chase, because I, I think this is one of those banks. If you're, in, I think anyone who is looking at J.P. Morgan Chase over the last few years and says, "Yes, I'm going to buy shares," some percentage of their bull case for the bank has to be wrapped up in Jamie Dimon, and so because even if he's going to get through this unscathed medically. You have to just wonder, well, wait a minute. At some point, this guy is no longer going to be in the corner office. At some point, he's going to decide, I'm done being CEO. And and then what? Because, and Tim Hansen made this point, for all the things Jamie Dimon has done right and has gotten credit for, you can't look at him and say, he's done a wonderful job of building this great bench and retaining this great bench of potential successors. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. I have heard, however, that you're in contention. <laughs> I don't have the hair that he has. He's got, no. as we've said before, Jamie Dimon, among, among his many attributes, just a fantastic head of hair. But you do have yours. I still have my hair. Well, all seriousness aside, I think that what we have to consider here is that, yes, he's taken a lot of heat. Yes, the stock's done really well. And in the end, all that really matters if you're a public corporation is did you create value for shareholders? Is he really responsible for all of that? There are obviously people running parts of the parts of the bank that are doing really good work. Just because we don't know who they are doesn't mean they're not important. Um, not that, you know, I'm not saying anyone would suggest that. But I do think 
that uh, J.P. Morgan has obviously been willing to hire from outside Diamond. So what we'll see probably is if and when there's a transfer, they'll just get some really powerful star-level banker in, and they'll run it well. I don't worry too much about the bench. Before we get to plug power, let's back up and, and stick with the, the CEO topic for a second. Um, you run Motley Fool Special Ops. Uh, I, I'm curious, to what extent, if any, does the CEO play into your investing analysis? How important is that to you? Or as a value guy, is that lower down on the list when you're thinking about buying a stock or recommending a stock? There's a great question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I... It's so important. Now, remember, we're looking at value uh, with Catalyst. We're looking at specific uh, events, spinoffs, whatever, that may give us return in a particular time frame. The, way, the role of the CEO can be where you've got a turnaround. For example, a, a business, you, they, wanna, it, it, they got rid of the old management, they want to bring in good people, uh, and you see that this is a proven turnaround person or a proven manager in the field. Case in point, Gramercy Property Trust, turnaround, lender, terrible situation. They brought in a guy we knew had had huge success, Gordon Dugan, at a REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, in the same field as Gramercy before. So we had a turnaround with a turnaround specialist in the same industry. We would not have done it without the CEO. So, yes, important. Plug power is up more than 12% this morning, based apparently on nothing more than the fact that uh, an analyst firm, FBR Capital Markets, has started coverage of Plug Power, uh, giving it an outperform rating and giving it a price target in the next 12 months of $8 a share. Right now, it's trading around $4.70, something like that. But as, as you and I were discussing right before we started taping, Look at a chart of this stock. A year ago, thirty-eight cents a share. Back in March, more than ten dollars a share. What uh, this? Uh, I know one of my failings as an investor. Maybe failings is too strong a word, but I know when I look at my portfolio, there is no energy. There, there. I have no energy exposure. And, and <laughs> you save it for the air. <laughs> and by the way, yeah. And by the way, plug power. I look at a stock like this, fuel cell technology. It does nothing to get me closer to, and I know there are a lot of plays in energy when it comes to investing, but something like this, I just find downright scary. As well you should, because you and I uh, are long in the tooth enough to remember <laughs> when we were working together in the early 2000s and fuel cells were the next big thing. Ballard Power, Fuel Cell Energy, Plug Power, all these companies were speculative playthings on new technology. And where are they today? They're as unprofitable or as close to unprofitable as they were then. Plug Power, uh, it, it went, most of that gain to 10 bucks was on a deal with Walmart right. and February, March, April. Well, then, of course, with the stock up, they do what you're supposed to do. You issue a whole ton of stock so that you can have money in the bank to keep spending, just to not make any money and develop products down the road. Uh, so they did that. Stock tanked. Today we have the uh, analyst upgrade. We're looking at a company that is uh, entirely speculative, impossible to value, uh, Las Vegas money, I would say, is what should be invested in it. When you look at the energy industry, is there a, a 
direction you gravitate towards? Yes, and that direction has not been positive of late. Oh, okay. (laughs) But we have always felt, uh, based on the looking at supply and demand and fundamentals and all this stuff, that natural gas had been just thrown out when prices dropped to under $2 in MCF Mm -hmm. uh, in 2012. I think I've got that right. Um, And they have recovered, but of course then production, anytime the prices go up, production increases. We We really were looking at natural gas as an energy area to do extremely well in. We've seen some profits, but boy, uh, True. And I would say as far as oil. So natural gas, I think, is just it's a gas. And I I don't think oil prices will stay at this level. And I think investing in oil companies at this point is a real risk as well. Uh, The comment I made before about sort of my own portfolio and that sort of thing, I I always go back to a comment that Ron Gross made years ago about uh, and, you know, I talk to Ron all the time. And uh, frankly, not everything he says sticks with me with me. But, but, <laughs> oh, did you hear that, Ron? But uh, no, Ron doesn't listen. Um, but but this one actually did. And it was that that every investor, if you're going to have a diversified portfolio, should have some exposure to energy in that portfolio. I am curious, it, it, when you think about what a diversified portfolio means for an investor, are there industries that you think, look, if you're going to be diversified, you got to have X, Y, and Z, and if so, what are they? No, I don't think that way. I th- I'm very much different than that. I follow the Buffett view that you pretend you have a punch card for your life, and there are only so many punches on it, and those are the stocks you go and go. So, for example, a special ops portfolio has seventy percent of assets in the top six positions. We concentrate. Uh, I would say that, having been said, as they say. Retail, I think, is something that you just have to not have. <laughs> okay, really? so I'll, I'll answer it negative, or negatively, right? It's just too difficult. Now, have you felt that way for a while, or is it just <laughs> when you look at the last 18 months and the landscape is just littered with retail companies that are... Uh, like Coach, right? I mean, I think the problem with, with retail is that when it's growing, it's great, and when it's over, it's done. And it's not even really about predicting trends or uh, you, I, nobody can do that. But boy, once a consumer brand is out, it's out. And to me, there are so many things I can measure better that I would rather they might not be as sexy as uh, owning a coach bag. I mean, stock. But it's just more comfortable for me. So retail is just something I if you can do that, Chris. Hey, good. <laughs> I can't, because um, I have a teenage daughter in my house, and I know how fickle those creatures are when when it comes to, yes, I see the look of shock on Well, I was wondering if you had anything left in your wallet. Uh, no, for, fortunately, she's old enough now, she's earning her own money, so ah, that, that's a good thing. Good. Uh, before I let you go, yesterday on the podcast, uh, we t- closed by talking about Las Vegas, and the, the guys <laughs> at the table offered uh, tips for anyone traveling to Las Vegas, because that's a destination spot. Marfa, Texas, population somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,000. But for anyone who says, you know what, I'm going to Marfa, Texas, what, what is something to do? What is a place to go to, a, a restaurant, something? What is, a, what is on the must-do list when one is in Marfa, M-A-R-F-A, Marfa, Texas? Three things. Okay. The first is you go to the Chinati Museum, which, or Foundation Museum, which is outdoor installations of art that are world famous. If you know, if you've ever heard the word minimalism or think you know what it is when you see it, the two major minimalists in the history of art 
have their biggest and most monumental works in Marfa, okay? They come from all over the world. Number one, minimalist art. Number two, cochineal restaurant. Cochineal were the little bugs. They're the little bugs on the prickly pear. Okay. They make red dye and the British redcoats, their red dye was from cochineal. Okay, isn't that great? What you learn on this show, exactly. And when you have people like me from the middle of nowhere. So <laughs> number two, these guys had an Upper East Side bistro with uh, Michelin star, moved out to Marfa and opened it up, and we thank you. <laughs> and the third point, this is a highly, <clears throat> shall we say, self-promoting. The Indy Jacobs Gallery, and the Jacobs would be me, one of the Indy Jacobs family of unprofitable businesses, will open. <laughs> uh, this fall, late this year, early spring, has been under construction for eight and a half years. It will be done, and it will be an architectural landmark. Really? And I will take anybody listening. Let's see. What, 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 I better watch this. I will buy a drink for anyone listening who comes to Marfa. So just show up in Marfa, Texas, find Tom Jacobs, which won't be hard because there's only a couple thousand people in town, and then uh, just say, hey, I listen to you on Market Foolery. Boom. The, actually, this is no joke. You tell people, who are the guys that have the gallery? They will know me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. My pleasure, Chris. I really enjoy being with you anytime. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Heather Horton. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 